This week's episode of the Software Social Podcast is brought to you by Hopscotch Product Tours. Hopscotch Product Tours allows you to improve user onboarding with helpful product tours that guide your users to success. Also, reduce frustration by helping users learn how to use your product without the need for demo calls. Visit hopscotch.club today and start delighting your users with Hopscotch Product Tours. Hey, Colleen. Hey, Michelle. How you doing? I'm doing pretty well. I had a pretty uplifting week over here in the simple file upload world. You know what? That's good to hear because I feel like last week you were, we talked about how you were kind of feeling like you were in the void. I totally was. And, you know, I still feel that, but I'm trying to, two things happened that changed my perspective. One, I got another check from Heroku. So that always helps. (laughs) That doesn't hurt. And I'm kind of just trying to focus on my mindset as I approach this business. I have to say the check from Heroku, because unlike Stripe, where you just get paid randomly when people, you know, when people pay, you only get paid once a month. So I've been telling you I have $800 MRR for like three weeks and I haven't seen that money. So I just saw that money yesterday. So that was pretty exciting. Nice. Yeah, I think I remember telling you my very first check I got, like I had enough left over to buy a bagel. Yes, the bagel, the $20 bagel. <laughs> the $20 bagel. Well, this time it was it was quite a bit more, so I could could have bought quite a few bagels. So that was pretty exciting. <laughs> and I saw that you, you tweeted out earlier this week that uh, the, the Stripe payouts, and it was just yes! like payout, 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 payout. <laughs> it was awesome. I think what must have happened is like people must have signed up. There were like four or five people who signed up like one day apart. And so the, all of their invoices hit like right after each other. So I like signed on to my email every day and it was like, pay out, pay out, pay out. It was awesome. It was very exciting. It was a lot of excitingness in terms of actually seeing the fruits of my labor on this product this week. So that was fun. Yay, internet money. Yay, internet money. <laughs> so where is your MRR at now? So I just checked and I'm at $975. What? Oh my I God. Know. You're almost I at know. that $1,000 MRR mark. And it's been three like months. three months. Yeah. I guess it's, yeah. Three, oh my God. Like, yeah, that's, so. I, that's not common. Like just for everybody else kind of like listening, like that is, <laughs> that is very uncommon. Like if you're, you're not like inching up on a thousand after three months, like Colleen, like that's, that's normal. Like I think it took us like six months and even then that was kind of fast for a little project dude 975 yeah that's real money it's real that's why my last check because if you look at my checks from Heroku and once again I only get those once a month it's not like Stripe it was like the first one was like 150 the second one was like 250 this last one was like 570 dollars I was like that's like real money like I could do something with that money (laughs) nice cool um yeah so so from a monetary perspective, it's going great. I think um, I I was struggling a lot and I still am kind of struggling because I don't have a good feedback loop. I have been kind of unsure what to do next and how to push the product forward. And it's funny because I, la- like, I think mid last week, I was just in a funk and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to build it the way I want to build it. I'm going to develop all these features. I don't care what anyone tells me. Like, I'm just going to do what I want to do. 
And, you know, of course, everyone I talk to is like, that's a terrible idea. And the best way someone phrased it to me, they were like, what if you do go and you spend a couple months and you build all of these features you feel like you need, you're still not going to know who your customer is. Like I was complaining because I don't know who my customer is. And she was like, even if you spend this time to build that out, you'll be three months down the road and you still won't know who your customer is. So (laughs) have you made any progress? And I was like, oh, that's a good way to put it. So. I um, did a few interviews this week, which was really great. Um, I'm really going to take a pause on any kind of development work and just talk to people. I mean, talk, talk, talk. Oh that my is God, my goal. Colleen. I know. I know. You're, you're done putzing <laughs> around in the code garden and like you're, you're out there in the town square. I'm convinced like between the, I mean, I, probably five different people had to tell me this, but like you guys have convinced me <laughs> that I just need to talk to more people. Um, I just need, I don't know. Like if you ask me who my ideal customer was like is, or who, who this provides value to, I can't identify that person and casting a net of all developers is way too broad and too vague. So that's really what I am focused on in, in the next couple of months. I think another thing is I need to calm down a little bit and slow down and be a little bit more patient. You know, you said that you could go off and build something for three months. And it sounds like this person you were talking to kind of, kind of helped you realize basically like you wouldn't know who you were building for and why you were building it and how they needed any of that to work. Yeah. And I think that's exactly the thing. So, so this week has been great. I spoke to um, three consultants. I have another one today and I'm trying to get to five consultants, which I'm sure I can find one more person. Here's the thing, Michelle, they all want different things. Oh, so, so I mean, unless I have the team and the budget of a Cloudflare, I can't build one product that fits the needs for all of these three different people. You know what this sounds like? No, it sounds like the very beginning of a research loop to me. What's a research loop? Okay, so it's basically this idea that like you do a group of like five interviews and then you sort of analyze that and say, okay, of all of these different problems I've had, or rather I've heard, um, which ones both sound people are already paying for them to be solved and they're mm-hmm. unhappy w- with the way that they're being solved or and they can also be paying in terms of significant amounts of time, like that counts. And then which of these problems do you think are relatively both feasible for you to solve, like it would be possible for you to build something and could also be like commercially viable for you to sell. Like people would be willing to pay enough that would justify the time that goes into it. So basically kind of analyzing what you've heard so far based on, you know, how how well those needs are already met or or mm-hmm. not met. Yeah. What they're already willing to pay for and then and then doing another round focusing on those sort of top priority problems to figure out where you should go next. Like it's completely normal that you would talk to five people and hear five different things. That that doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. If anything, that's really exciting. Oh, it is, I recognize I it may feel not excited. seem like that. <laughs> I felt like crap. Now I don't know what to do. <laughs> oh, yeah, that makes sense. I think um, if you view okay. it as kind of like a pyramid, basically, you start out with yeah. a really wide scope in the beginning 
because yeah. you're casting a really wide net. Like you're just talking to all software consultants, which is a pretty broad Big net. Group. And yeah. then you just sort of narrow it down based on where your capabilities are and where people are willing to pay for stuff and, and they're not happy with what they're currently doing. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that was that was really good. Uh, you're right. It, it's good to hear the details of what people struggle with, what their pain points are, how frequently they have those pain points. Um, not, but yeah, I was only three interviews. So nothing magical came to light. Like, oh, if I just did this one thing, I would have the product everyone wants. Like there was nothing like that. Um, everyone was building or wanted to build kind of a specialized solution for their needs. So I guess the answer is just continue to talk to more people in that situation. Yeah. And, you know, also making it flexible too. Like if you genuinely hear that everybody wants something different, then, you know, making it so that they can customize it to their own needs is, is another route you could go on. But I mean, it does not surprise me at all that you would not be hearing commonalities after just three people. Yeah. Yeah. That's totally um, normal. Yeah. So I think I mean, before I start, like what I, I really want to go build an integration for this thing or build an integration for that thing. But I think before I do any of that, like I said, I'm, you know, this is, there's no finish line here, right? Like this is, a, this is my life. Like this is what I want to do. Even if I sold my company, I'd want to build another company. So I'm just trying to be a little bit patient and take my time and really figure out who the customer is and, um, you know, learn, learn about what they need and figure out how I can customize this product, um, to their needs. And it sounds like that for you, like that is almost the opposite of your instinct. Like your instinct oh, is, <laughs> <sure>. <laughs> is to go and build for three months. I mean, that's what I want to do. Like, let's be clear. Like I love people, but this process of like, finding people and like the, the whole, the whole logistics of it, you know, it's a lot. It takes a lot out of your day. I found that I'm a little nervous before I talk to them. It's a lot of emotional energy to like contain my own excitement while I'm talking to them. Um, and listen, like that takes a quite a bit of concentration as a beginner. <laughs> the, um, it, it, it takes concentration for me. It takes emotional energy for me. I mean, this is why I have this rule for myself that I don't do more than two in a day because the amount of energy that's required to sort of just, you know, I, I picture myself like this sponge that is just there to absorb whatever the other person says. Like that yeah. requires a lot of energy. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago when I was first starting to interview all of my readers about my book and my very meta interviews about it, customer interviews, um, I did six in one day out of enthusiasm oh. for this. And and at the end of that, oh I was I, I heard so many amazing things. But I was also like, okay, now I remember why I have that two per day rule. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that's kind of – definitely goes against my instincts to slow down um, and try to identify my customer. But I think the point that I want to build – all these things, but until I know who I'm going to be serving, I don't even know what is important to build. And I can't know what is important to build until I talk to people who need this product, who I until I identify them and talk to them. So that's going to, that's going to mean that I need to be a little more 
aggressive in finding people. I can't just like, I mean, I put a thing on Twitter and I found five people, but I was only looking for five people. Like I want more than, I want a lot of people. Um, so I think I'm going to try some of those strategies, you know, go on Reddit and the strategies you write about in your book, actually, if you'd like to, I mean, you talk about this in your book. I reference your book, even (laughs) though it's not done. Like I have it. I'm looking at it all the time. Just so you know. (laughs) You know, one thing I want to note is that doing development work and customer research work, like they're not an either or it doesn't have to be this switch where you're only doing one at a time. Like I think, you know, the best cases are when this kind of research is just integrated into what you're already doing. And, you know, it does take time and, and, and focus and like context switching is difficult. So you couldn't, you know, just like, you know, write code for like half an hour and then interview someone and then write, like you can't sort of just switch back and forth super easily, but integrating it into your process. And maybe it's not that you, you know, don't go out and build these features for three months in a cave or also that you don't go out and just talk to people for three months. It's that you do, you know, both, you, you know, it's like in the same way that, that people often ask me whether they should talk to people or whether they should look at analytics. And I'm like, or K no los dos, like right. do it at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Um, like you could, you know, like for example, I remember you talking about something that came out of the interview with Drew where you wanted to pull the code pen forward on the marketing site. Yes. Like, has that happened? No. Oh, <laughs> I don't mean to like call you out or anything. But it's like, you know, there's like development Thanks for calling work. me out on my own sorry. podcast, Michelle. I'm sorry. I didn't <laughs> like there's development no, but- work you can do. Yeah that you'll find in these things as you go. Yeah. And I think that's, that's really, um, the key. And that, that's, will keep me in like a happy psychological state too, because I'll get to, I'll get to do a little code. I'll get to talk to little people. I'll get to do a little code. I'll get to talk to little people. So I think, uh, I think that you're absolutely right. Like that is a good path forward. Um, I think, I, I guess what I'm trying to sort out. So when I built this thing, I built it like, to do one very specific thing, right? Like it was designed to help you get public files from your users onto your site. And I was actually making, I was using it for brochures. We were doing real estate brochures and people have started using it in all kinds of different ways. And that's been really instructive. So even that piece of information is interesting and a good thing to learn. So Um, yeah, so I think it's just keeping an open mind and making those kinds of changes that are kind of obvious, like the code pen more accessible, um, as I go forward, that's kind of, kind of my plan. Oh, and I wanted to say, so what I've been doing, I think I read this in your book too, is I've been, um, recording obviously with their permission and then dropping it in otter.ai to get a transcript. And it's so awesome because now I can just read, it takes me five minutes to read instead of watching the 30 minute video. And I have the information like right there at my fingertips. I love that. It's awesome. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Otter makes it so easy to do a transcript. It's actually what we use for this podcast. I should totally like reach out to them and see if, see if they want to sponsor us or something. <laughs> I paid, I mean, I, I have a, a paid fan. subscription because yeah. I was like, this is so worth it. Like, it's so cool. Yeah. And then you can but just that's like, been, print it out and highlight. And yeah. Yeah. Well, that's been such a great way to collate the data because I was like, okay, if I want to get serious about this and talk to, you know, 15, 20 people, what, am I going to go back and watch all those interviews? I really don't want to. So that's been a really cool way to get the data. I'm like pumped about that. Um, 
And so, yeah. Yeah. If we were doing this like in a sort of serious, like corporate, you know, company setting, what you would do is actually like take all of those transcripts and then clip out like specific key phrases and key words and sentences where someone is really clearly describing their different use case. And then, um, you, I mean, I, I, I feel like there's just sort of this meme about how much like UX people love post-it notes and like rearranging post-it notes on boards and like those, <laughs> you know, all of those quotes basically end up as post-it notes where you're making a timeline of the user's journey through trying to do something and you're evaluating it on functional, social, and emotional levels. And like everyone in the team is like placing post-it notes in all of these different areas from all the different interviews. Like you might have one color that you use for a particular customer or a particular interview, for example. It's super time intensive. It's also really fun. Um, and it's, yeah. it, brings amazing results. But even if you're not doing that, like even the fact of getting the transcript made, going, reading through it, pulling out the key phrases, and then just kind of knowing where to find that information yourself or like jotting that down on a card or, or whatever that is, wherever you're keeping information. So you know what to go back and reference later can be really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm pumped to go in this customer interview journey. I think I'm going to approach it the way you kind of describe where, of course, I'm not going to not touch the code. Like there's going to be, there's going to be both. Um, I'm going to do them in parallel, but I really want to kind of identify who, who it is I can provide the most value to. And I want to be specific about it. So yeah, that's kind of my goal, um, going forward. And that's going to take a while. I think that's the other thing I have to remember is like, that's not going to happen in a week. Um, that's going to take me a little while. So well, it's, I mean, in some ways it's never over. And I don't know if that yeah. really, it's I don't know if point. that helps you. Like, I don't know if that's something I should tell you now, but like, you know, I'm a firm believer that research should be just part of your ongoing workflow and sort of building this bank of customer understanding that is a living, breathing organism. And it's not that we do a research project for a month and then build stuff for three months and then do a research project. Like it's just always happening. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of all the wonderful info I got from your book while I was doing these customer interviews, how is the book going? It's good. It's good. I, yeah. I feel like we're we're getting into the more serious editing phase. Um, kind of. Did you, you know, have a picture this morning of like the book on your desk with a bunch of pens on Twitter? Oh yeah, I did. I printed it out. It looked um, intense. And I started reading it like as as a book and editing it. And I have four different colors of pens for my editing. And I used to do editing and, and print layout professionally. And like I've, I've um, sort of volunteer of edited other people's books before. <laughs> <You're> so random. <laughs> so yeah, no, it was like stuff I did when I was in college. So, um, cool. so, so yeah, I'm really pumped because actually this is a phase of it that I feel like I understand the best. Um, and I know, like I have seen where you know, there, there was one book that I helped edit that went on to win a major like international prize. And like, I, I didn't have anything to do with that, but like it, I saw what that book was in its early stages. And so I know that like the fact that I'm tearing this to shreds right now is like a normal part of the process, like, and even really yeah. amazing books, like they, everything starts out in a rough shape. Um, I'm really appreciating how different writing a book is from writing a newsletter, like how much of a gulf there is between that. Yeah. Um, but but I'm having fun. I feel like I have torn like the introduction absolutely to shreds. I mean, I had like four introductory chapters and like I think that was too many. <laughs> <laughs> like I was really burying the lead. 
Um, so it's good. You know, I've brought in friends who are um, out, outside of our little bubble in, in tech uh, to help me edit, who are people that I know who will be harsh and honest with me and they trust that I'm not going to be offended. Um, and so I'm so grateful to, to have their help. And I've interviewed about 25-ish people now um, as, as part of it. So it's, it's, it's going along. It's good. That's awesome. I'm excited. And I also heard, and by heard, I mean you told me, that you took your live <laughs> chat widget yes. off of your website. I'm so excited. <laughs> Talk to me about that. Okay. So this, so this is something that has been building for a while. And for a long time, not, not since, just since we moved here, but for a long time, the pings of live chat have been really stressful for us. Um, I imagine. Yeah. And even like when we were in the US, like we were on Eastern time and we would stop working around 4.30 or 5 on any given day. Um, And we would still be getting requests, you know, through 8 o'clock at the minimum because of the West Coast, if not later because of Hawaii and Alaska. Um, And so we were sort of used to getting pinged from customer support at all hours of the day. Um, though it's not necessarily that there's a volume problem because, so we have this idea that every support ticket only happens once. I think you've mentioned that. So this is kind of this principle that we operate on that whenever somebody, whether, whether it's a bug or somebody is confused about something, like if there's any way that we can make something clearer or fix something or basically prevent that ticket from ever happening again, we do that. So nothing gets closed until it's fixed. Um, and, and so we operate on that principle and that has really reduced our support volume over the years. Um, but also, but still throughout that, and I think especially being on a European time zone, serving North American customers, like that gets really difficult because, you know, our daughter gets out of school at three o'clock and then our customers wake up at three o'clock and then it's just like, it's just chaos and having live chat specifically, like people, don't know when they can expect to get a live response versus when they have to wait. And I have experimented with so many different versions of copy on the little live chat widget, and none of them really seem to communicate that it's like it may not actually be live. Okay. And then on the flip side, some other people assume it's a robot and like don't even use it. Yeah, that's me. But keep going. (laughs) I've seen that come up in usability testing, like when we've had people screen share and go through our site. So, um, you know, a couple months ago, I was telling this to some founder friends and what came out of it was basically, you know, live chat was really important for our growth, especially in the early days. Like I'm thinking like, like 2016, 17, 18, especially when we were going full time and, but the things that you do to grow are not necessarily the things you have to do to maintain and be a stable business, right? You know, right. we're growing. Like we grew 56% last year, even though we didn't really try to. But growth is not what we optimize for. We optimize for stability. And so those things that we did in the early days to grow, like we can use different tactics now and where the live chat kind of stresses us out and doesn't work for our family, but also like it creates this expectation mismanagement with our customers 
And people are still getting a reply directly from the founders. And just this morning, somebody emailed us and then we got back to them an hour later. And then the response we got back was, wow, I'm so amazed that you were able to give me a helpful answer so quickly. And like, yeah, that was an hour versus immediate. And they still had that like positive reaction. So we just did this the other day. You know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, but, but I'm kind of nervous, excited, relieved all at the same time. <laughs> so you still have the widget. It just says, no, we got rid of the widget. We removed so there's no the widget, widget at all. Yeah. I mean, oh, it's still like okay. popping up in random places. So we were like going through the code base and trying to find all the different places we have that launcher. But no, but like we we're still using Intercom and the platform. Like, so all the email is still coming into Intercom, but we don't have the live chat bubble in the corner and we don't have any prompts that say, you know, contact us if you have a billing question. Like if you click on contact us, it doesn't pull up Intercom chat widget instead creates an email. Okay. So if I am on your site and I want to contact you, I now have to scroll to the bottom to the footer or wherever Click contact us and that'll pop open my email so I can email you. It's in the header and okay, but and then it's okay. It lists all the different emails. Yeah. Now tell me about some concerns you have about making this. I, I think I like a concern I have is that, you know, people will be upset, right? That they may have expected an immediate response before. But you know, at the same time, like most of our long term customers, like they email us anyway. And actually most of them have our personal emails and like they don't expect an immediate response. You know, our, when I was talking to those friends a couple of months ago, they were like, you guys are providing way too high of a quality of customer service. Like I know that you guys pride yourselves on it. Like even doing the customer support as the founders yourselves is, is so far beyond what most companies do. Never mind doing it live 24 seven. Um, like they're like, that's, that, that doesn't make sense. And like, you guys can be, you know, be gentle with yourselves basically. Um, you know, people have been like, why don't you just hire someone? And the problem with it is that because we have solved all of the easy support problems, like the ones we do get are fairly complicated. And if someone else were to take this over, they would need to be a, support engineer who you know is capable of debugging people's problems but also like able to negotiate contracts and do billing issues and like like they would need to somehow be a clone of the two of us and it doesn't really seem reasonable so so yeah i think it's and again it's it's not the volume that it's the problem it was really that cadence it's when someone is you know chatting and saying hi are you there right is the API working? My right. API key, my, my API key is, you know, it's doing this like, and it's like, and it's like every like one, like ping every minute versus someone sending us an email that's like, Hey, like, so I was trying to use it earlier. And then this is what happens. And here's the error message. I got. Like people tend to be much more verbose in email. So yes, I'm nervous, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. I think that this is, you know, an adjustment that we need to make. I don't think anyone will care. I think you will get absolutely no, I think this is all upside for you. I mean, it's going to be so good for your quality of life. I don't, I literally don't think anyone's going to care. Like, like, I mean, I think you're going to find that it doesn't have any impact on your business. We'll see. We'll see. But you know, we're, we're kind of operating under that idea that the things that we needed to do to grow are not necessarily the same things that you do to when you have a stable 
secure business. Yeah. Yeah. Which cool. is kind of well, weird. Exciting. Like also in the software world, because I feel like, you know, we talk about this all the time that if you're trying to build a, you know, sort of quote unquote, like calm company, right? Like you're not going down the unicorn route. Like, like most of the advice and growth tactics and everything out like business advice is geared towards those companies that want to be huge and less yes. so towards us little one, two person companies. Like the things that make sense for us are, you know, we have a totally different set of incentives and resources and constraints and goals. Like all of those things are so different that the fact that we're all in software is, is, is almost sort of beside the point. It is complete. It is wild, isn't it? Like how different the the tactics are. Like um, we have more and- in common with a small retail business, but we also don't fit in with them because we're not a physical business. Like it's like I don't yeah. know, small SaaS. We're like we're just a weird breed, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I hope it. Um, I hope it alleviates some of that pressure and stress. I imagine, especially with the time zone issues, since you guys have moved. That's got to be just whew, challenging. Yeah. My friends who um, also, you know, run SaaSes out of Europe with North American customers, like I have talked to them a little bit about this and they're like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. It's really yeah, tough. Definitely. Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm glad. I think, I feel like this is going to work we'll out. We'll see. For you. Maybe in six months, yeah. I'm going to be like, oh my God, we don't have any new customers and everybody canceled because we don't have the chat thing, but I hope not. I mean, honestly, and I know it's you say the these, risk, right? they, they come in two groups, but I just assume there will not be a person on the other side of the chat widget. So if I hit your chat widget, I just assume I'm going to send you an email. You know what I mean? I think you'll be fine. Yeah. I think people have totally different expectations. And what we have tried to communicate is that we're not making it harder to contact us. Like we're not, you know, offshoring our support. Like you can still go to the header and click contact. You can still email us. Like it's still the two founders doing the support. It's just one of the tools we use for that is, is going away. Yeah. Cool. Well, can't wait to hear an update on how that goes. All right. Well, I guess that'll wrap us up for this week. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please tweet about it. That always makes us happy. Um, And we love hearing what you think. Huge thanks to all of our listeners who've become software socialites and support our show. Chris from Chipper CI, the daringly handsome Kevin Griffin, and Mike from Gently Used Domains, who has a nice personality. Dave from Recut, Max of Online or Not, Stefan from Talk to Stefan, Brendan Andrade of Brightbits, Team Tuple, Alex Hillman from the Tiny MBA, Rami from Hovercode and Rocket Gems, Jane and Benedict from UserList, Kendall Morgan, Ruben Gomez of Signwell, Corey Haynes of Swipewell, Mike Wade of Crowd Sentry, Nate Ritter of Roomsteals, Anna Mast of SubscribeSense, Jeff Roberts from Outsetta, Justin Jackson, MegaMaker, Jack Ellis and Paul Jarvis from Fathom Analytics, Matthew from Appointment Reminder, Andrew Culver at Bullet Train, John Coster, Alex of Corso Systems, Richard from Stunning, Josh the Annoyingly Pragmatic Founder, Ben from ConsentKit, John from Credo and Editor Ninja, Cam Sloan, Michael Copper of Nusi Proposals, Chris from URL Box, Callie of Toslet, Greg Park from Trait Lab, Adam from Rails Autoscale, Lana and Alex from Recapsi, 
Joe Mazzalotti of RailsDevs.com, Proud Mama from Applenet LLC, Anna from Cradle, Monsef from Ruby on Mac, Steve of Be Inclusive, Simon Bennett of Snapshooter Backups, Josh Smith of Keyhero.io, Jesper Christensen of Form Backend, Matthew of WorkCited, Chris of JetBoost.io, Daryl Shannon of Docomatic, Larabels, a community for Larabel developers underrepresented due to their gender, Brendan from Feederloop, Pascal from Sharpen.page, Lynn Romick from Convini, Arvid Call, James Sowers from Castaway.fm, Jessica Malnick, Damian Moore of Audio Audit Podcast Checker, Eldon from Nodal Studios, Mitchell Davis from RecruitKit.